Hey, what up? What up? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Foxing Around podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Fox. And I'm your co-host, River Thomas. Hey, man, and we got a very, very huge and exciting episode coming up for you guys, ladies and gentlemen. We have Mr. Ted Nolan. He'll be joining us in a minute. Uh, what we got going on, River? We got, hey, let's see that hat real quick. Show, show the people that hat. hat. Oh, that hat. That is one nice hat. Ladies and gentlemen, we got hats and two kinds of sweaters getting restocked next week. We're going to start taking pre-orders on Wednesday, so you can hit us up for that. Uh, we're really excited about dropping some new merch. Uh, we'd also like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Cleanest Way Duct and Furnace Cleaning. Give them, a, give them a follow on Facebook. Look them up, man. Shannon Brass, Dave, and everybody else over there at Cleanest Way. Uh, they're, they're a great sponsor, and they take care of us over here at Foxing Around. So much love for all that. Dude. This is a moment. I can't believe today, man, we were on the we were on the phone call and we kind of ruined half the podcast for you guys because we were asking all sorts of questions and we were uh, we were already, you know, having our little mini podcast with him, you know, just picking his brain a little bit. And, and thankfully, he was so gracious and uh, kind and let us uh, pick his brain for a while, man. I'm, I'm really excited about this. River, what do you think of that? You know, just hanging out with him, having a FaceTime call. Yeah, it was surreal, bro. It's crazy, man. You 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 see this guy on uh national TV, you see him in the NHL. He's a former Pittsburgh Penguin, which is me and your favorite team, bro. He told us a little story about Mario Lemieux, man. It's it's crazy, bro. It's so crazy. Yeah, man. I'm super, super excited. Without further ado, let's get right into it. We know why we're here, man. Without further ado, let me introduce to you Mr. Ted Nolan. <laughs> Hi guys, hey. Hey, we had a great, uh, great call this, uh, this afternoon. I thought that was the show, but uh, <laughs> we have to do an encore. Yeah, man, no doubt, no doubt. What you been up to lately, Ted? Like I know you, you've, uh, you've done a few interviews lately as well too. You know, COVID has kind of hunkered down and and ruined a lot of things for a lot of people. Are you looking forward to getting back out there in 2021, maybe doing some uh, three Nolan camps? What are you up to kind of looking forward and what's going on in the present? Well, right now, presently, I'm, I'm guessing I'm like everybody else and uh, really taking this, this COVID uh, situation very seriously and uh, trying to keep my distance from, from people and uh, staying at home as much as I can, wash my hands. Uh, I got into walking. Uh, I walked a bit to about 10,000 miles in the last year. Uh, get into puzzles. I uh, make puzzles. Actually, I'm, I'm uh, uh, reconnecting with my language a little bit. Uh, uh, staying close to my my two boys, that uh, uh, Brandon uh, uh, and, and Jordan. They both have kids now, so I'm a, I'm a grandpa. So I get to see them as uh, not as much as I I would like to because of COVID. We see one for uh, say a month, and then we have to cleanse ourselves for two weeks before we see the next one. So it's uh, it's a little little hectic, but hopefully. Uh, as everything else, uh, this will pass too. Hey, that's what we're hoping for too over here, man. We're really uh, hoping that a lot goes down. That's really cool, man. You're a mushroom, as we call it in uh, Cree territory. That would be the grandpa. So that must be a, a phenomenal role that you fill, man. And how does that feel being a grandpa? It uh, feels uh, <laughs> a, a little bit better, I tell you. I, I think that's <laughs> the reason why we have kids is to, uh, for them to to give us kids to to be grandpas and, and grandmas and, and what have you. And I, I tell you, it, it's great. Uh, we can spoil them rotten uh, and then drop them off at home. But it, no, it, it's been fun. Hunter, the the oldest uh, grandson, he really took a, a liking to to hockey. So he's uh, he's getting pretty good at it. So 
next uh, next one he likes the the box, and I'm from a, from a boxing family. So uh, and the next are three girls. So we'll see what they're going to be doing. But I'm interested in watch uh, watch uh, watch their sporting careers also. Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. Real quick, man, I forgot about it. I shouldn't forget. I'd like to give a big shout out to our brother, Jason Chiquita, for making this all possible. I know uh, you're connected to him a little bit, too, and he helped uh, bridge this and, and get you on here, man. So we got to give a big shout out to Big J, man. Uh, much love, brother. Well, take us back, Ted. Take us back to the Garden River First Nation, eight-year-old Ted Nolan, man. What were you doing? Where was the hockey love coming from that early in your life? Well, uh, for some of the people who don't know, really know too much about my story and, and how I uh, how it all began, uh, I'm like uh, a lot of our, our people. I grew up in a very small uh, First Nation community in, in northern Ontario, uh, right outside the city of Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, and talking to you young 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 guys now, it, it seems like I lived in the 1800s, but actually it was 19, uh, 1950s. It wasn't too, too that long ago, but I grew up in a house that didn't have... Um, or, indoor plumbing or, and, and electricity for a few years. Uh, my first shower I ever had in the house was the first time I, I built it into a house in, in Kenora, Ontario. And we'll get into that story later, but um, I'm from a large family. Uh, I was a powwow dancer. Uh, I powwowed until I was about 16. I, I drummed for, uh, for a few years. Uh, had my own trap line when I was a kid. Uh, so I, I was really outdoorsy, but uh, sports is something that I always loved to love to play. and. And seeing the locals uh, play in our community, my brother was uh, was a coach of the Garden River Braves, uh, a senior men's hockey team that I went to to watch and actually uh, played with when I was about 14, 15 years old. So it was a lot of fun watching them. But I think it all started when I was about uh, eight years old, six years old. Uh, uh, we didn't have too many places to go and play hockey, so I, I made my own rink in my backyard, and I made it with uh, with a pail of water. Uh, and and that's the metaphor I use with a lot of a lot of kids when I when I go into schools and, and communities and talk to them whatever goal that 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 they that they they set for themselves anything can be accomplished but it's kind of like one day at a time one pail of water for in my case at a time I, I made that rink uh, every year for four or five years I played recreation hockey I never played triple A hockey never played double A or single or triple uh, A and uh, that's how I learned how to play and. Uh, Along the way, someone must have seen me play. I'm, I'm not too sure exactly who, but uh, someone seen me play and, and asked me if I'd, I'd be interested in going to Kenora, Ontario, which is about uh, in they were part of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League at the time, and uh, and I was about 18 hours from my house. And when they asked me to go there, it was almost like I get asked to go to Disney World. I was so excited because I get to go somewhere to play hockey, which I which I loved, but never being away from home. I uh, never, uh, I don't think I've been away from home more than more than two, two days uh, on my own. We have, we're a close family. I'm, I got six brothers and five sisters and, and everything was close. And, and to be away from home for the first time was, was kind of shocking and, and, and terrifying, to tell you the truth. And, and then you throw in uh, the racism and, and the prejudice and, and the name calling. And I, I never fought in hockey uh, my entire life leading up to that year. And it almost had to had to fight to survive. So, so a long boat question is is that's how it all started. And and at 16, it um, it became it switched from loving the game to trying to survive in the game. And uh, my my two brothers even came to town to watch me play. And I, I thought to, to I thought to watch me play. 
but actually they, they came to to bring me home because I, I wrote my letters that I, I wasn't having a good time uh, I stopped going to school uh, things weren't weren't very good and uh, I cried myself to sleep on a number of occasions and and when my, I still remember my brother standing beside the car bringing me home wanting to bring me home and I, and I told him that uh, he said Steve if I quit now uh, next tough situation in my life I'll, I'll probably quit that too so I didn't want to I didn't want to quit and plus I didn't want them to chase me home and, and thankfully uh, thankfully I didn't because uh, the rest is history I went to the Sioux Greyhounds the following year I had a chance to play with one of the greatest players of all time Wayne Gretzky uh, got drafted in the National Hockey League got a chance to play with Stevie Eiserman um, got traded to Pittsburgh uh, had a chance to play with Muriel Lemieux uh, Montreal Forum Toronto Maple Leaf Garden, Madison Square Garden, Chicago Blackhawks, and all those uh, wonderful things. And, and, it, and it, it happened because I, I didn't leave that, that, that year when I was uh, 16. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Like, did, you, did you feel like there was a moment where, you, like you said, you, you knew that you were going to, if you didn't leave or if you would have left, you never would have finished it off. Did you kind of know after that moment that you were destined for a bigger purpose, a bigger a bigger stage, you know, did you, did you want to get to the NHL at that point? Or was it like you said, just to survive and maybe get out of town and get away from certain things that were kind of plaguing you in the reserve or just wherever you were at uh, your life? You know, I, I, I really love to play. I just love to play. And I never, I never had the visions of playing, you know, you hear kids or people talk about it. I had dreams of playing a national hockey league when I was a kid. I, I never did because we didn't have a TV to really watch the national hockey league. I didn't really know what it was. But I, but I loved to play. I, I really did. I was a competitive guy. Uh, I, I loved baseball as much as I did hockey. And, and hockey is, but hockey, one of those things that when it switched to in Kenora, when, uh, when they uh, didn't want me on the team and tried to do everything in their power to get me off the team and, and fight and bully and, and, and school, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't very good. And, and it switched from, uh, you're not going to chase me away. I'm going to stay. And then the more I stayed, the more I learned that uh, uh, people go on to play in the National Hockey League. And, and that right then and there, I said, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to work my tail off and I'm going to uh, hopefully one day to, to play there. And when uh, when I was 23 years of age, uh, I played my first game in the National Hockey League and, and it was against the Chicago Blackhawks and Chicago, old Chicago Stadium. And it was one of those days I'll, I'll never I'll never forget because uh, I had a lot of tears when I was growing up as far as missing home and, and the way I was treated. But when I played that first game in Chicago, I walked up those stairs with tears of joy this time. There, there were tears of, of happiness that, that I was able to, to accomplish that. But with the, with the strong support of, of our, our ancestors before us, you know, some of the things that they had to go through, especially with the residential schools and, and the day schools and, and, and all those uh, horrible things that, that happened. And if they, and that's why I told myself at a young age, because I was, I was taught very strongly of who we are by, by my parents. And that was the best gift they, they ever given me was to make sure I was proud of who I was and who I am. And uh, so when I walked up those stairs, uh, I had tears, but there were tears of, of joy to, to say that I, I played uh, that first game in their honor. Yeah, man, that's so special. That's that's amazing to hear and to to know that you know the ancestors were with you and probably your family and your friends and your whole reserve back home that's that's something really special so yeah after you get there you know it it must feel good it must feel real what's it like from 
transitioning to that to, you know, I know you picked up a couple injuries and, and were basically, you know, you're still in the prime of your career, but your body just wasn't holding up. Was it tough to retire? And were you, were you looking for something else right away or were you just kind of done with the game? How did you kind of transition from uh, being a player, right, to being a coach? Yeah, you know, it, I'm glad you asked that uh, question, Raymond, because it's one of those when, when people think that I was when I was injured, I, I ruptured two discs in my lower back, lower back when I was playing for the Pittsburgh Penguins, which forced me to retire. Uh, but the day I retired was probably one of the happiest days of, of my life. Uh, you know, and when people think you're, you're so excited about playing and how long you're going to be playing and every year it was uh, and you could ask my wife, we, we've been married now for 40 years and. Uh, when I got drafted to Detroit the first year, I left camp uh, because I was so scared. I, I was intimidated. The guys' legs were about that big and arms and they had mustaches and they're they're huge guys. And here I was, it's, you know, 175 pounds soaking wet. Uh, my legs I had the little skinny Ojibwe legs from back home and my arms weren't much bigger. And, and uh, I tell you, I, I, was, I was scared. So I left, I, I left, I left camp and I came home and uh, Ted Lindsay, bless his soul, uh, he passed on, but uh, if it wasn't for Ted Lindsay, uh, my career probably wouldn't have uh, would never have taken off because he's the one who called me. He tracked me down at home, asked me why I left. I told him, I said, well, that's what we do in a minor hockey league. That's what we, we develop you to, to get you ready. for." I went back, but the only reason I went back was my girlfriend at the time who uh, just turned 17. Uh, I said, if you come, I'll go back. And uh, she came with me. And every year after that, uh, every training camp, I had the same uh, bad feeling in my stomach about leaving. I didn't want to leave home. Uh, I loved home. And, um, and I'd cry for the first two, three weeks I was, I was away. But thankfully, my, my wife was there to, to help me get through it. And I, I adjusted. And I was so happy to go back home. So it's kind of love and hate relationship for six years. But when I retired, that was one of my happiest, happiest days. Hey, that's special. That's special. So you go home, you're happy. Then you think, well, what's next? How'd you, how'd you jump into the coaching ranks, man? And how did you, uh, did you land your first job? And, uh, was it something you always saw yourself doing or how did it work? Uh, I'd be lying to you if, if I did, if I said that I'm going to be a coach, you know, it, <laughs> it, uh, everything happened by, by, by accident or maybe by faith. I'm, I'm not too sure, but, uh, but I, but I know the importance of education. And uh, I managed to get my high school degree when I, before I turned pro. And when I retired, I, I immediately rolled back into university. I went to Lake Superior State University, which is across the border from us in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And I, I was going to get my business degree. And I was walking, and they had an NCAA hockey team, the Lake Superior State Lakers. And I was walking down the aisle, and I bumped into the coach. And he, he knew I played pro. And he said, hey, Ted, would you mind coming out helping some of the guys in practice one day? Which I did. Uh, then Phyllis Bazito, that, that's a name for you. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he owned the Sioux Grahams of the Ontario Hockey League where I played junior. And he called me up at home. He said, what are you doing helping those Americans out? You should be helping us out. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah. So anyways, he asked me to, to, to come and uh, uh, be a part-time coach with him, uh, which I accepted uh, about maybe three weeks later. They, they fired the, uh, the head coach and asked me to become the head coach. And my immediate, my immediate response was, no, I, I can't coach. I, I don't know what I'm doing in, in coaching. <laughs> so he said, just take it over for a little while. So I took it over and then our team wasn't very good. And I tell you, I wasn't very good as a coach either. 
So we were a perfect match. And the, fan, <laughs> the fans start booing, and I, I kind of took it personally. I'm going, man, I'm just doing this guy a favor, and they're, they're blaming me. So what I did is uh, once we got through that year, and I kind of I fell in love with coaching more so than playing. And uh, they asked me to come back the following season. And so I, uh, to, be, to be fair with all the players, I had to learn how to be a coach. So I called up uh, six or seven of my previous coaches that I played for, asked them what their plan was, how they had a weekly plan, a daily plan, a monthly plan, a yearly plan. I bought a bunch of books. I bought uh, one book I, I thought was a uh, coaching or a spiritual book. Uh, I was walking in the bookstore and I seen Sacred Hoops. I'm going, that's got to be a, a, a spiritual book. So I, I, I bought it. And it was Phil Jackson's book, The Basketball Coach. And lo and behold, he studied uh, Native spirituality and he studied Buddhism and, and he talked about his coaching. And it's probably one of the best books I've, 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 I got for it. So I studied like crazy. And uh, we went back the next year and we, uh, we won the league championship. We went to the Memorial Cup. Uh, we did it the, the next year. Uh, and we did it three consecutive years in a row. And uh, I, I fell in love with coaching. And that's when they uh, uh, asked me to go to pro. I, I signed with the, oh, actually, we, we won the Memorial Cup in 1993. Uh, then Hartford Whalers called to be a part-time assistant coach there. Then the following season with the Buffalo Sabres. Wow, wow. That's cool. So you, you tell us how, like, your, your first year as a coach, you stunk. And then you got better. You got a bunch of... Uh, of advice from all these former pros, I guess, like six, seven different coaches. And um, what would you say your coaching style came out to be? And has it evolved from when you very first started coaching? Like, at, let, let's even say uh, when you first started coaching the uh, Buffalo Sabres to when you last coached the uh, Islanders. Has there been a big shift? Uh, you know what? My, truthfully, my, my coaching style it really – evolved the way I, I was raised. I was raised in a family of 12 and it, we had to learn how to work together and, and, and protect each other and be there for one another. And, and I found, uh, I, 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 I thought growing up, uh, I was a favorite, I was a favorite son and, uh, mom and dad liked me the best and loved me the best. And then I heard, I overheard my sister saying that same thing to her friends and my brother saying it. And I'm going, man, I, I, I we all felt that way. So I brought that into my coaching philosophy. And, and during the time I was, I was learning, I was able to get uh, Fred Shiro, who coached the uh, Philadelphia Flyers, Broad Street Bullies, uh, his, his era, and I, I had a chance to get some of his notes. And I read one of his notes and it said, you have to learn to win with what you got or you don't win at all. And I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm, I was complaining of my first year. I said, if I had a better team, I'd, I'd win. I've had a better goaltender. I'd win. I've had bigger defense. I'd win. And you know, I was I was complaining about the things I I didn't have, and and I and I looked at my own life. I, I never complained about the things I I didn't have. My, my first pair of skates I I ever owned were size I think size six or size eight. My feet were size three. I put my rubber boots and I made them fit, and, and that's how I skated. I I never complained, you know. And uh, we used to talk to, uh, about poor stories, how poor we were. And I used to tie these two wool socks together and put them as my, as my toque uh, outside because it was so cold. But I, I never complained. Uh, uh, I never complained about anything. And, and here I was complaining about the things I, I didn't have. So as soon as I read that, 
note, I worked with what I had and, and we uh, made the players the best that they could be. Uh, united them as a group. And I'll tell you, it, it, was, a, it was a fabulous group of guys. Uh, and they worked hard. They, they, they worked extremely hard. And, and we competed like a son of a gun every game. And we won uh, the league championship uh, two years and won the Memorial Cup the third year. So that philosophy of working uh, as a unit and working together uh, never fails. So that's that's what I what I learned and and uh, that's what I brought into my my coaching realm and and uh, you know don't uh, forget to ask me about the the greatest story that ever happened to me in, in coaching and I'll bring that up later on about uh, I even brought a medicine man into the into the locker room in the National Hockey League so we'll get into that later but uh, that's my philosophy and that's how we worked and it, it was a lot of fun. Dang, man. A real player's coach, it sounds like. That's amazing. So after you uh, you win with Sault Ste. Marie, uh, like you said, you took the, the Hartford Whalers job for a year, and then you get the big seat at the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that that era, I guess, and that time in your life and just, you know, what it was like coaching in the NHL. You know, you're, you did amazing uh, for that time, and then – you know, maybe transition it a little bit into what happened and how it ended and, and just kind of talk to us about the entire experience, because I know it's, it's something that, you know, is, is really talked about. Well, you know, um, uh, like I said, I never had visions of, of, uh, coaching in the National Hockey League. It's just something that, uh, uh, that I did and we, we did pretty well. Then all of a sudden NHL comes and then the Buffalo Sabre opportunity opened up and, and I got the job, and uh, I tell you, we had a good group of guys. We had Matthew Barnaby and Rob Ray and uh, Brad May, and we had Pat LaFontaine. We had Dominic Hashik as a, as a goaltender. I tell you, we had a competitive group of guys. And, and uh, we, we, my second year in, in, the, in the league, um, we won the Northeast Division title, which is the first time they did it in something like 16 years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I won Coach of the Year. Uh, in the National Hockey League, and um, I thought right then and there, I thought my my coaching career was going to be a longevity. I found something that that really connect I connected with. Um, I, I worked at. Um, then you get rewarded with the with the trophy, but that's where the story kind of switches to to the dark side. Um, I, I get coach of the year. You know, it was well documented. My, my general manager at the, at the time, John Muckler, who unfortunately just, just passed away recently. And um, but we, we had our differences. Um, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, lie about that. We just had our, our had our differences, and and he got let go, unfortunately. And then, then everybody started blaming me, and the rumors started coming, and and what I thought was going to be a, a, a long joyous career in coaching ended up being uh, my walking papers out the door. Uh, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't work with management. Uh, then they started making up rumors about uh, coming to practice drunk, uh, having affairs with, uh, with players' lives even. So, I mean, it, it was, it was gut wrenching and, and that stuff really probably hurt the most. It, it really, somebody could tell me I can't coach and, and, but uh, when you're when you're talking about someone's character and, and who they are, that that really hurt. And I had two young boys at the time, uh, Brandon and Jordan, were you know, 12 years old, and they could read in papers and they could see things. So I, I, I didn't want to fight. Uh, I, I was done fighting, and I and I walked away. I just walked away, and I said, uh, 
no more. And, uh, and I, I went into a little bit of a dark period of, t- of time for about a year, year and a half. I just kind of, I, I lost that, that sense of, of belief that if you worked hard, good things usually happen. And, and, and I lost that in, my, in, my, in myself, in my, in my being. I said, it doesn't work that way all the time. So anyways, I kind of, I was lost. I was frustrated a little bit. And it's funny how things pop to you and, and come to you. I went to a movie uh, one afternoon. I, I watched a, a Muhammad Ali movie with Will Smith. And, and I was watching that movie and, and all the stuff that he went through and how he got his license taken away. The Muslims kicked him out of their, their, their religion and, uh, he was he was he was broke and, and all this stuff and and when he got his license back and, and, and he was able to fight again and I always remember what he said he, he never stopped being a, a champ he never stopped being a Muslim he never stopped being who he was and as soon as he said that it kind of sparked a spark back in me I, you know coaching is what I did it's, it's not who I am and I, I have to start being who I am again so I I walked out of Uh, emotional, um, but right, right there and there, it, I, I said it. But I gotta, I gotta be myself again. And uh, I, I, I went home. Uh, I called up a few friends of mine. I said, I got a, I got an idea. I said, uh, uh, how about, uh, how about starting a golf tournament, and we'll, we'll raise some money for our women, and, and we'll give out uh, scholarships to First Nation women in, in Ontario. So we, uh, we did it. And uh, geez, it was packed. It was, it, people came from all over the place. We raised quite a bit of money. Then we did it again, and we did it again. And then a good friend of mine, I've always wanted to, to honor my mother. Uh, she was drunk. Uh, she was killed by a drunk driver in our community when I was only uh, 20 years of age. Uh, I lost my father when I was only 15. And I always wanted to, to honor my mom, especially in, uh, in, in a way that she honored us. So, uh, uh, so in 2004, we started the Ted Nolan Foundation, and we raised. Uh, uh, we just closed it recently, but today I think we raised up like 1.5 to 2 million dollars for First Nation, uh, and now we got it into universities and uh, into colleges. That the scholarships are, are are continuing to to keep going. So it was one of the the best things that ever happened in my life. And and but that that movie was the movie that kind of tricked it. To, to say, hey, quit, quit whining, quit complaining about what happened. It's, it's not who you are, and be pr- very proud of who you are. So I took that to heart. I went, did it, and then what happens? I'm sitting at home. Uh, I get a call from Mr. Robert Irving. Uh, it, their family owns Irving Oil out in the uh, East Coast. Uh, he called me up one day, and he said, uh, Ted, uh, I wonder where you live. I said, I live in, I'm in Southern Ontario. So when I get my, my plane, I can, I can pull it over and we can, we can meet. I said, anybody who has a plane and wants to meet with me, I'm going to meet with them. And he said, I, I got a junior hockey team, uh, uh, the Moncton Wildcats. And uh, I was wondering if it was in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Um, when would you be interested in coaching? And this is eight to ten years after. I was done coaching, and I got I walking out of that movie from uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, said goodbye to hockey. I'm never going to do it again. And here I am listening to Mr. Irving, and 
My wife looks at me and says, you're not going to Moncton? I said, no, I'm not going to Moncton. Because the last, last place I want to go to is Moncton. But, <laughs> but I'm going to meet with Mr. Irving for sure. And I met with him and was probably one of the nicest men I've ever met in my entire life. And we talked and he talked about his hockey team. He talked about his, his province. He talked about uh, 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 doing something for, for, his, uh, for his city. And he had a hockey team and he said, I wonder if you'd be interested in coaching him. And right then and there, I, I called up my wife at home. I said, guess where we're going? <laughs> we're going to Moncton. But anyways, it was, it was a fantastic year. Probably to this day, even winning the Memorial Cup uh, and spending the three years with that team, uh, with, uh, winning the Quebec uh, championship with, uh, with the Moncton Wildcats was probably one of the, one of the better highlights of, of my coaching career. And, uh, and, I, and I enjoyed the year so much. And then lo and behold, what happens? Uh, the National Hockey League calls again, and I'm, I'm back with the New York Islanders and uh, even have a chance to coach uh, uh, Team Latvia at the Sochi Olympics in 2012. So one door closed and another one opened up and, and, it, and it led back to even having a second crack in, in Buffalo. But um, uh, so I'm a strong believer that uh, just, just don't give up. You, 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 never, you never know what's, good, what's gonna happen, you never know what's gonna unfold. Uh, you just keep the faith and keep working and, and uh, usually good things happen. Yeah, no, for sure. And you talk about like, um, uh, um, I'm sure everybody watched like the unwanted visitor and you talked about how they do have that old boys club. And I, I see that like, even just as a fan of hockey, I see that it's always the same cycle of coaches getting fired and rehired, fired and rehired, and there's never any new coaches. And, um, but basically what I want to ask you is like, what do you coach again if the opportunity was there and um we'll start at nhl and even that if it was for like a lower team you know like a cis team a university team a junior team a uh, a whl team any of that would, would, would you ever agree I, to you it you know what? I, I told my wife before I, I wasn't interested in going back to coaching when mr irving uh, called and all of a sudden uh I, I love coaching. I, I really do. It's, it's grabbing a whole bunch of people together and, and they're all over the place and mixing them all together and com, uh, competing and, and battling and, and trying to win a championship. Uh, I, I love that aspect. So uh, answer your question, I, I, uh, I say I'm not looking for it, but if I'm asked, I probably will. Uh, I, 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 I love that part. So, but, the, but you're right, though. It's uh, what we talked about in the Unwanted Visitor um it is the, the boys club and if you're you're part of it you uh you, you get offered job after job after job and mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to win and uh, uh that that's a scary part i mean if you if you win that's one thing but uh when you don't it, it's tough so i'm i'm hoping maybe one of these ex-players that, that i coached back in the day becomes a gm one day and maybe maybe before i get too old though yeah yeah, yeah for sure and um how about coaching players who you may think um, who you think may have like racial tendencies? How do you maneuver that and shut it down? Because for example, like me and Ray were First Nations athletes, and sometimes like I'm sure that we had to well for a fact we've had to deal with racial tendencies from teammates and from like coaches in the past. And like you're in this position of power now, 
over these players. And and you know that some of them might come from small towns. They might have these like racial views on indigenous people. And you being an indigenous coach, having to lead them to championships, these young men, how do you, do you address those? How, how, how do you look past those? Well, yeah, you know, great question. Uh, Yeah. We didn't, that 15 minute documentary on uh, TSN and W5 uh, was only a little glimpse of of what happened. Um, When I, when I played in Kenora, uh, I could have been one of those uh, missing and murdered. Uh, I mean, there's one, one instance where I was almost uh, thrown off a, off a, off a, a building that was on the water that the rocks were in a beat. If, if I was, uh, thankfully that somebody saw me and, and helped me because uh, the guy, I swear to God, he was a man and he was going to throw me over. And I managed to, to make it through that I get back to, I make the Sioux Greyhounds and, and they left me behind on, on the bus twice. I mean, who, who leaves a 17 and 18 year old kid behind, especially a major junior hockey team. And so I, 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 I went that. And then you hear some of your own team or, people that you're playing against give you the old wahoo sign all the time and get back to the reservation you stink and drunk indian all the time and you hear those things and it's not it doesn't get old it just it 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 burns even more and then all of a sudden you you play with players on your team that say it to you i mean that's the i mean there's an incident in in pro that somebody said it to me on on the uh and the uh, during the shift on the bench and I couldn't get them, I couldn't do anything on the bench. But I tell you what, soon we got in the locker room, uh, we, we fixed that problem pretty good. Uh, so, and then you, you coach, then you, you coached uh, junior players and, and, and how some of these guys react. Uh, and one of the, one of the players, uh, he, he didn't react in a very, very good way. And he, and he said, F you, you, you stinking Indian. I'm going, I mean, I'm, I'm coaching major junior hockey and, now I'm a coach, and one of these players yell at me, and, and what do you do in that situation? Or, or one of them turn around and say, F you. I'm going, what do you do? And, but you can't, you've got to bite your lip, and you've got to bite, uh, and you've got to be a better, better man. And you wait to the right, uh, right situation, you address it, and you talk to them, and, and, um, and hopefully they learn from it. But one of the players that, that did do it to me, uh, long story, and I was coaching the Buffalo Sabres the second time. And that was like, I don't know, 20 years since I coached junior hockey. And the, one of the players who, who did say that to me uh, called me up and wanted me to meet his family. And he apologized for what he said. So sometimes when, you, when you're young, you, you say things that maybe you shouldn't say. And uh, you don't know where they're getting it from. You don't know what they're, what they're taught at home. And as, as a coach and as a as a teacher and as, as a person in, in, in leadership, you can't react as, as, uh, as a 16-year-old to a 16-year-old. React. You have to act in a more mature way. So we dealt with it. And then, like I said, and, and the players um, uh, learn to, to respect you, uh, who you are. And I think that's why the game uh, needs to, to change a little bit. That's why they need a little bit more, more color, more... Uh, you know when I, when I first when I first got into the to the to the business, every, I heard everybody say it. Oh, we all have to be on the same page. I'm going on the same page. Everybody everybody kept saying it. We all have to be on the same page. And well, same page in a book is pretty boring. 
I mean, it's the same thing over and over and over again. It's kind of, it's not very exciting. So I, I think people should be different and, and we should welcome differences and, and, and who they are and, and, and their family. And just because a lot of our kids who play, my boys included myself, when you, uh, when you don't speak, too loudly and you, you don't uh, and you're a little shy when you, when you have the team meetings and you have to get up and speak and, and, you, and you're unable to because you're too shy to uh, they they think you don't care and that has nothing to do with caring it just has something to do with your your upbringing and how you how you how you address certain things so the game has to be a little bit more understanding yeah um we were kind of talking again about, you know, the interview that you gave and uh, me and River studied it and we took a lot of things out of it. But one thing I think that was that was really important to me is that you said point blank, you said, if I was white, I would be coaching. If I was white and from Toronto, I would be coaching. And that was a fact. And I, I think that was really special. Um, did it take you a lot of time and courage to build up to say something like that? Because, you know, you, when you walked away, you, obviously, you know, you, you talked about us, that there was some tension there and there was some bad feelings towards the NHL and, and the old boys club. What made you decide like, hey, you know, something needs to be done here. I need to use my voice and and speak. And, you know, was there ever like, were you ever scared of like repercussions, obviously against you? But I know you have two sons too as well that, you know, were in, active in the NHL at the time. Was it hard to kind of bite your tongue and not be able to say certain things? Yeah, you know, you know, when this happened, when, when it first happened, uh, I really wanted to fight back. I, I really wanted to. And then all of a sudden, it, I talked to some people in the business and said, Ted, it's going to be your word against uh, uh, billionaires. I mean, who's, who's, whose side are you going to take? They're, they're not going to take your side. So you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. And, uh, and I, I really didn't want to coach after that anyway. So it was a good reason for me to just to, to walk away. And then all of a sudden, my, my boys uh, uh, became professionals and watching, watching them play. And, and I, I never really got into to what happened with, with me. And then I had a really, there was a, uh, uh, a reckoning that, that happened in the United States with, with George Floyd that, uh, that, that kind of really sparked something inside me that I held back for, for all these years. And, and everything in life is, is timing. And when, uh, sometimes you want to do something now, but it's just not the right time. And I felt uh, at that time, it was better for me to walk away than, than to, to cry. They would have said, oh, just another complainer. Uh, they'll bury me. And, and maybe by speaking at the right time, they wouldn't listen. So I, I, I zipped up. And plus, I, I was very scared of what they might do to Brandon as, as my son and Jordan as, as my son. Um, what could have happened to them. So I, I zipped it really good and then, until uh, George Floyd happened. And I listened to the police officer in St. Louis that he said, uh, if we don't speak, we're complicit to the problem. And as soon as I heard that, I'm going, okay, uh, here, here it goes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak my truth. And, and I really strongly believe that if I was white and I was downtown Toronto, I went through all the coaching clinics like all these guys do. Um, I'd be connected to, to somebody and, and my buddy will hire me. And if I, once I get fired from that, my other buddy will hire me there. And you don't even really have to win. You just have to be connected to your buddies. And once you're, you're connected, you're, you're in. So all these, uh, they all go to coaching clinics together. They all go to golfing tournaments together. And, um, and my time was, was spent 
back home at the powwows and in my family so I, I never went golfing i never uh, did all these uh, clinics so when you're not in that mix it's pretty hard to to be part of the mix so um that's that's why i spoke and uh, hopefully hopefully now uh with things changing that they they will see more because i even to this day i still have a very hard hard time because uh, kids uh, they, they want to see something that that looks like them and and hopefully i don't get too emotional but but uh, and i told it 101 times already if not 500 times i i, w I was in the toronto airport one day uh, this was i think 10 years after i was done coaching and i was walking down the down the hall and this young first nation girl runs up to me she was about I don't know, 12 years old or whatever and she ran she said hey coach hey coach and i'm going i wasn't coaching for eight years i'm going how would this young girl know who, who i am and her parents come walking and and then we, we chit chat a little bit uh and she said i know why you're not coaching and she she i let down she she touched my skin she said because you're too brown so when when you when you hear kids talk like that i mean that's 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 when it gets really really tough so i i kind of <clears throat> leaned down i said no that's not why it just uh i i stopped coaching because uh, i wanted to coach my son so you said make up another excuse but for the for the young girl to to say that and uh and some kids believing that that that's hard so we have to have another narrative to, to tell our kids. We, we can't tell our, our kids they, they can't or because they're too brown. No, you can do anything that you want to do in your life and, and you work hard and, and you keep uh, doing what you do and eventually things will work out. But that was really hard. But that young girl I, I met, Erin uh, uh, Ashel was one of the players that uh, played for me in Long Island and you know, was a relative of his. And I got to meet her when I when I when I recoached the Islanders and, and she walked up to me, she was a young lady by then. She touched my skin. She said, I know why you're coaching now <laughs> because your skin is brown. So anyway, it was, it was, cute. It was a good ending to, uh, uh, you know, a very, very disturbing thought for, for a young, young kid to have. Yeah. Okay. I think he's on mute. You're on mute river. Yeah, no, I'm on mute. Yeah, no, I was just saying, don't worry about getting emotional. Me and Ray cried on this podcast quite a few times already. So <laughs> it happens. We're, we're all human. Yeah, no. So um, you uh, wanted us to ask about your uh, greatest story coaching. Well, uh, oh, earlier, yeah, what's that about? Well, yeah, you know, I, I do a lot of presentations and, and especially coaching. People want to know how do you coach and, you know, there's a whole bunch of, I do a whole different uh, spiel with that and how I, actually how I, I did coach. I, I just made up drills as, as I went. I mean, I, I color coded all the all the players. I put uh, the Russian five. I said, just go out there, five guys and play whatever position you want to do. And I practice with music. I practice in the dark. I practice with no pucks. And I just used their imagination, pretending we had a puck. And uh, so I did all that crazy stuff. And um, But anyways, the, the players loved it, and uh, they worked hard. But I was, I was coaching the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, and one of the Russian players skated up to me during practice one day. And he said, hey, coach, I, w I watched a movie last night. It says, Dance with Wolves. He <laughs> said, did you see it, coach? I said, yeah, I saw it. Did you like it? He said, I, I loved it. I loved it, coach. He says, uh, uh, medicine man. 
they have. Is, is medicine man, is he, is he powerful? I said, yeah, he's pretty powerful. And he said, well, Ottawa senators, they got, a, they got a Buddha in their dressing room. He said, do you think a medicine man is more, more powerful than a Buddha? <laughs> I said, I'm not too sure. Uh, he said, hey, coach, maybe it would be a good idea if you bring a medicine man to speak to us. And I, I, I said, you, you want to listen to the medicine man? So I, I checked with uh, Pat LaFontaine, a couple of the leaders on our team. I said, uh, said the player wants a medicine man. Oh, coach, can you get one? I said, yeah, I can get one. So I called up a good friend of mine back home. And uh, I said, hey, Jake, uh, boys want you to do ceremony. So who, what boys? So I'm coaching in Buffalo. So where's that? He pretended, where's that? It's <laughs> in the National Hockey League. So he said, I said, we play Detroit Red Wings uh, next week. I said, I'll, I'll get you some tickets and uh, come down and do ceremony for the, for the boys. And anyways, he came down. He, he was dressed in his buckskin jacket. I didn't know he had. He put a headband on and an eagle feather hanging down from the side. And his medicine pouch, mucklucks on. He looked, he looked like a store-bought Indian boy. So, so, he, so he comes down to Jonas Arena and the players were skating around. He said, hey, coach, is that him? I said, that's him. So he came into the room. And he did all the, uh, all the ceremony in our language, the Ojibwe language. And you could hear a pin drop. I mean, the players were looking at him like, the, like they had big silver dollars in their eyes and everything. And you could just hear everything. And, and uh, it was probably one of, the, one of the most special times I ever had as a, as a coach. You kind of cross-pollinate cross our culture with the hockey culture. And it was, it was, it was, it was one of the most special times I ever had as a coach. And then always at the end of the uh, at the end of the ceremony, uh, all the boys clapped their hands and uh, said thank you. And um, one of the guys walked up to him and said, "Hey, medicine man." He says, "You have anything in that bag? You can put on my hockey stick. I'm score a goal in about a month and a half." So Jake pulls out his tobacco pouch and, and he sprinkles the stick. And anybody who has kids out there, kids are pretty superstitious, and uh, I think we all are in sports. And uh, anyways, we played that game. We lost three two, but uh, the player scored a goal. So we go, so we go back to Buffalo the next night. <clears throat> uh, knock on the door, same player. Say, hey coach, you have me that medicine? And I said, yeah, no, I, I do. So I, I sprinkled this stick. Sure enough, lo and behold, he scores another goal. <laughs> and then we, then we, we played, but maybe about two, three days later, there's another knock on the door, and uh, the same player. But this time he has three buddies with him. <laughs> so, so there's four four NHL guys with their stick over my desk, and I'm gonna sprinkle them with, with tobacco. And and as leaders, and as uh, as managers, and as teachers, and uh, people who work with people, there comes times in your in your in your daily routine that there's a time to motivate, and time to time to to work with what you had. And so I, I kicked them out of the room, and. Uh, I put them in a room and I, I had a little candle in my office. Um, so I brought the candle in the, in the locker room. I lit the candle, turned off all the lights. I asked all the players to throw their sticks in the, in the middle of the locker room. I grabbed my tobacco pouch and I walked around the sticks just like uh, Jake did. And Jake did it in the Ojibwe language. And I don't speak it fluently, as, but I, I just took a lesson that week. And the lesson was, uh, come in, sit down. Do you want to drink some tea, new hat, uh, feed the dog? That was, that was the lesson plan. So I'm going, 
I'll, I'll just say the lesson plan. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> so as so I, I grabbed the grabbed the tobacco pouch and I walked around and and I didn't really know how to how to say it because they're they're looking at me like they're looking at, at the medicine man. Their eyeballs were that big. So I walked around real slow and I said, "Hey, bend again, bend again," which means come here. Nandaben, which means sit down. Nibishano ga me we 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 quan we min quit. I want to drink some tea. Week uh, one, uh, hat, and shum the mush, feed the dog. So I, I said it, but I said it with three or four times different ways. And I laughed and I, I said, shum the mush, shum the mush. And I threw all the tobacco on the sticks. And I turned the lights on, the players grabbed their sticks. I think we played Philadelphia that night. Uh, we waxed them six two. It wasn't <laughs> Like we were all over them. And then we won, I think, 16 of our next 17 games of, of the year. We won the Northeast Division title. I won Coach of the Year. And people say, what, what's your coaching philosophy? You know, it's, it, it, was, it was just uh, just one of those moments where you get the, a team together and, and they strongly believed in, in something. And I tell you, I'll never forget it. And uh, it was a great, perfect and now a, a combination of our culture meeting hockey culture, and it, and it worked out perfectly. And... Uh, and uh, and we won. <laughs> Yo, that is mind blowing. I gotta take a second, man. Strong medicine won him the game, won him the trophy. Yeah, it was, it was. I tell you, it was. It was really. I, I used to do that in, uh, with hockey all the time. I grab all the players and I come up with the uh, with our with our uh, sweet grass and tobacco and sage and 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 burn it in a shell. And I, I do a, a ceremony at the center of the ice uh, with all the players. Um, and get them to, to, to think a little bit and, and, to, 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 and to pray and to, and to honor what, the, what they're doing. And so anyways, we, I did that in junior. I, uh, I did it in, in pro and, 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 it, and it worked. So, but anyway, it, it was a lot of fun. But that's a, that's a story I like to share with a lot of people because I think it's a, a perfect uh, combination of, of uh, colliding two, two different cultures. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> that's so funny, dude. That's so funny. That, that, that's really, really cool, though. Um, do but, you have a hockey superstition, Ted? Um, no, I, 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 I drop tobacco a, a lot because uh, my mom taught me that uh, at a very young age. Um, even when I went to Sochi Olympics, I, I brought uh. My medicine pouch over there, and I dropped tobacco to, to ask for for help and guidance, and you know it's my way of praying, and, and that's what I, I do quite a bit, and and it helped us because we uh, we almost beat Team Canada with with Team Latvia, so it was uh, it was one of those those crazy crazy games that, uh, but I just think if you if you have faith and, and you and you and you believe in, in something, uh, you, good things happen. So, but uh, I, I do that, that I do that quite a bit because I, I think that when I Especially when I read that book, uh, The Sacred Hoop by, by Phil Jackson. It really he he had a arrow in his in his locker room. He had the, the, the Scotty Pippen and all these uh, Michael Jordan and all these guys stretching in a circle inside of his room and called it. This is where we prepare for battle. And he had a medicine pouch over his, his locker room for um, uh, to represent power and swiftness and arrows and all this stuff. So. Yeah, I, it was really, really powerful. So I took a little bit of that. I said, man, if he could, a white guy could do that with uh, <laughs> Chicago Bulls. Maybe a native guy could do it with junior teams. And then I found out that it, that it works in pro too. 
Because if you look at uh, the pros, I mean, we have everything from uh, top psychologists to motivationalists to the nutritionists to, to the best hotels, the private airplanes, all best hotels, everything that money can buy. And, and here it was with a, a medicine man inside of an initial locker room. Uh, I tell you, money can't buy that. <laughs> Yo, that's true, man. I got to say, too, that was like one of the most bittersweet moments I've ever watched was watching you coach uh, Latvia against the Canadians because I was like, man, that's my guy right there on the other side. But he's about to cost us for us. Like, we need the goal, my guy. Like, what are you doing? You know, like it was it was like a weird situation watching you coach because it was it was amazing to watch. Right. Like you guys were such an underdog. Uh, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, you had no business there and to coach and to get those guys to believe that they could beat you know probably one of the greatest teams ever assembled what was that process like that game like was it it must have felt like a win anyways or were you actually genuinely mad you didn't win well you know it was kind of one of those games where it's like samson versus goliath it was like the i mean we, we had no business uh, uh being in in the same categories as team team Canada of attack, uh, strange things can happen, and and I'm I'm a strong believer. Like even with the with this COVID, I mean, if you if you stay home, and you wash your hands, and you keep your distance, and you you eat the right foods, and you like it, it'll pass. But if you if you're foolish and you want to go out and and do all the other stuff, there, there's a chance of, of getting it. And so winning's not a to me, it's not a sometime thing. If you want to do it, you got to do it all the time. And if you do things more consistently right than the opposition, the chances strongly improve. And so we, we just talked about grabbing this little ax and trying to chop down this great big monster tree. And I said, boys, how we get it down is one little chop at a time. And what we do, and, and so on, we said, they bought into it. And I'll tell you, we worked like a son of a gun. They all shot us like, 80, 80 20 but that was hard as we got and and uh actually i just got a phone call from one of the, the brothers that I, that i coached over there uh i didn't know they had gypsies in uh, in latvia and they had two uh, uh koba yas and maris yas uh was was their names and i tell you i love these guys so they're they're like the rudies in, in football they just worked their tail off and uh, they never made the national team. They had no business being on the national team uh, um, because of their, their skill level, but their work ethic and the way they competed. Uh, uh, to me, they're, they're on a team. So I, I got them on a team. Uh, and uh, Cuba, uh, before the game, uh, I, I told him, I said, Skip, I said, said 87, a pretty good player, that Cindy Crosby kid. Said, yeah. <laughs> I said, skate up to him and ask him, Ask him for a stick after the game. Maybe, maybe we get into it psychologically. So Kuba skated around the warm-up and asked him for a stick. Anyways, uh, and after the game, uh, there was a knock on the door, and it was Cindy Crosby, and he brought the stick over to Kuba Yas, which I thought was one of the most classiest things I've, I've seen because we tried to play the you know dumb pumpkins. Uh, we shouldn't be in the same category, but down deep, we felt that. If things worked out, we have a chance to to, to beat you. But uh, a lot of uh, a lot of guys made their uh, and they still talk about that game over in, over in Latvia. Uh, it was a special game for me, and I'm quite sure it was a special team for for Latvia. And, and the time that I spent over there in, in their country kind of reminded me of of us of, with our people. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they don't have too much uh, 
given a lot of things were taken away. Um, they only have three rinks in their entire country. And here they were playing against Russia, Sweden, Team Canada, Team USA. And for them to be in the A pool in the World Championships is, was incredible. But they, they worked like I've never seen kids work before in my life. And that was a great, uh, great experience that I had over in, over in Latvia. And going to the Sochi Olympics with them is something that I'll never forget. But it was, it was a lot of fun. But I tell you what, uh, that game was one of those games you'll, you'll, you'll remember for a long time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I, I, that actually, I actually had a question about that. So, like, obviously, like later in your coaching, you got to coach against like Sidney Crosby, who's like argue well, who who was the greatest of his generation, arguably one of the greatest players ever. Like, how do you game plan against somebody like Sidney Crosby, like with with that stature as a coach? My 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 philosophy has always been you you, you go at him. Uh, you, you, you try to get them off the game because some of these, so not not Cindy Crosby in particular, but some guys don't like to be like to be hit. Some guys don't like to be pestered because uh, their, their status is up here, and you, mm -hmm. you can't knock them off that. But if you go and 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 show them re respect, but in a nasty way, and say I'm gonna and I'm gonna whack them as much as I, I whack a, another guy, and and try to get under their skin as much as you you can because. Uh, um, because that's the only only chance that you're going to have. Because these guys are so good, they're gonna they're gonna get their points. But how many points are you going to let them take? Is how hard and how nasty you can be against them. Because uh, they don't like to be hit. Who, who does? <laughs> that's my saying. Who does like to be hit? Nobody likes to be hit. But I tell you, if you uh, if you pound people all the time and you hit them all the time, you don't turn away. Eventually, that gets under their skin. Uh, maybe they lose their cool. Maybe they, they say something they shouldn't say, and maybe they, they react in a way that they shouldn't react, and we get them off the ice. It's more power for us. Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, you know what we're going to do? Because people have been very patient, and there's been a lot of questions. We're going to open it up to some fan questions for Mr. Ted Nolan. If you guys got a question for Mr. Ted Nolan, shoot it in the uh in the comment section we'll post it up we'll uh we'll take a few questions anyways um yeah we'll, we'll wait for those to filter in give us one second i have one more question too is uh is it tough to like let's say a coach is indigenous right and they want to get they want to get to where you're at because i don't really see too many indigenous coaches at a high level at all is it hard to like break through even to the first step you know, like maybe even just to like a like a triple A program or like a a junior A program. Like you don't you don't really see too many NHL co or coaches that reach pinnacles like yourself. Like what what would you give some advice to maybe a coach that's starting out early or wants to go, you know, move it a little further? It, it it's it's tough. It really is tough. My my brother back home, he's trying to trying to get up the ranks of. Um, uh, from single A to double A hockey and all that stuff. And, and, and the politics in, in hockey is kind of, it, it's tough. Uh, I was kind of lucky. Uh, uh, I had the, my pro background and I just happened to run into the right people at the right time. But from what I learned and, and people who called me about jobs, you just got to be persistent. You got to be persistent. If, uh, if you get no, uh, don't take it while they're not going to give me a chance. You got to ask again, and if they say no again, you got to ask again, and and you got to con uh, constantly try to improve yourself. Uh, you know, like even with uh, with speaking publicly, 
when I was 23 years of age, I played the National Hockey League. And I really wanted to uh, speak, particularly to our young people, about uh, you know how you achieve certain uh, goals in your life. And, and, and I really wanted to give this message. And my first speech I ever give, I'll remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I went to a hockey banquet and, uh, and I prepared the speech for about three months. And here it is. Hi, my name is Ted Noll. I was born and raised on the Garden River First Nation outside the city of Sault Ste. Marie. As you're all aware, I played my minor hockey right here. I got drafted in 1978 by Detroit Red Wings. Just completed my first year in the National Hockey League. Thank you very much for inviting me. That was my speech. And I, and I studied that thing for about a month and a half. And then the guy who introduces me at the banquet, he said, our guest speaker tonight is Ted Nolan from the Garden River First Nation, as you're all aware, outside the city. Got drafted in 1978 by the Red Wings. Just completed his first year in the National Hockey League. And my face just froze. I'm going, what am I going to say now? And I remember all of my life, I'm going, what am I going to say? And I, and I couldn't say nothing. And my, my lips started quivering. Uh, my face turned purple. Uh, it was probably one of the most embarrassing situations of my entire life. So I, uh, and, and I told people what I wanted to do earlier. And they said, uh, Ted, I, I've seen you speak. That's not going to happen. So I, I enrolled in uh, Dale Carnegie courses, Toastmaster courses. I took uh, public speaking at, at university. And I took that for about six years before my next uh, speaking engagement. So I had to learn. And in order to coach, you can't just know what you're, what you want to do. You have to articulate it well, so the players can understand it. You can't just say, "I know what I'm doing." You can't, you can't say that. You have to articulate what you do and how you're going to do it. So, so all the young coaches out there, just uh, show your face up. Go to, go to coaching clinics. Go to uh, events and apply for jobs. You get rejected. Apply again. I mean. Uh, I, I tried out for every AAA team in, in Sault Ste. Marie for every year I played. I never got, I never made a team one year. Uh, that didn't deter me from, from, from keep playing. So you just got to have something you, you want to do, uh, do it. You might not be able to do it at the National Hockey League, but that doesn't mean you can't be a successful coach and making a difference in, in young people's lives behind a bench of, of, a, of a house league hockey team. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We got, we got a ton of uh, questions filtering in here. We'll take the first one. I like this one. Who is the Russian player that watched Dances with Wolves, if you're allowed to say? His name was Alex Zitnik. Uh, he, was, he was a really good, uh, really good player, and his English language wasn't, wasn't the greatest. He said, hey, coach. Hey, coach. But, uh, yeah, he was, the, he was the one. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm awesome. glad he asked me that question. Yeah. Uh, we got another one here. It's not a question. It just says, Hey, I just want to say thank you. Honestly, the scholarship was a turning point in my life. Much love to you and your family. That was Jade Roberts. She had said earlier in the comments that uh, she had uh, been a re uh, recipient of your uh, Ted Nolan scholarship. And uh, that's, that's really nice to say. She's, she runs a podcast too. Still here, still healing. If you want to check her out, Jade Le Levi Roberts, give her a follow. It's yeah, she, no, she also said, Please share the info for other Indigenous women to apply for the Rose Nolan Scholarship. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember Jade very well. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Good got a friend of ours. Really yeah. good friend. Let's go with, uh, have you made friendships with any other NHL players that you keep into contact this day? I know there's like an alumni society that kind of an Indigenous alumni. Do you, do you keep in contact with anyone from your playing days? You know, uh, I, I made a couple of 
of friends that I, I played with, but not too many I, I played against. Uh, I, I still keep in contact with, with a lot of, a lot of players, particularly Pat LaFontaine. Uh, he has a, he has a foundation in the United States and that's how we kind of shared ideas to, to help springboard my foundation here in Canada. Uh, I, you know, I, I speak to Matthew Barnaby occasionally and uh, run into to Brad May and run into, uh, you know, some of the, some of the, some of the former players that I, uh, but rarely, rarely do I uh, see a coach that I, I coached against, uh, uh, or, or players that I, I coached against either. So it was a very, you, you think, you know, I, I know them and, uh, but I, I try to keep, you know, Brad Marchand for, for example, he is one of my, my all time favorites. Uh, some people who see him play, uh, I think he's a little pain in the rear, but I tell you, you know, you want him on your team. Uh, he, he's a gifted uh, player. He's a competitive son of a gun. Uh, he could play for me any day. So we had a great, uh, great relationship when we played. Uh, Keith Yandel down in uh, Phoenix, uh, mm-hmm. a good player. So uh, yeah, some of the some of the players, Chris Simon, uh, Denny Lambert. Uh, when I when I coached the Sioux Grounds, uh, there was five, uh, I, I believe, five Indigenous players in the league. I had four of them. So. Yeah, so I, I keep in contact as many, uh, a few, but not not all, as everybody would think. Right. We got another question here. Do you remember coaching a team of First Nations boys here in Saskatchewan against some European teams? I think it was the Czechs or the Slovakians. Might have been in Onion Lake, ringing a bell at all. I remember that very vividly. I tell you, it was <laughs> probably probably one of the most. Uh, it, it was a uh, that poor team. I think they were intimidated before the even even the game even started. I mean, all the brown faces in the building. It was packed. Uh, a lady sang the the national uh, national anthem on the drum, and it was half chant and half uh, Old Canada. I tell you, it was. Um, yeah, I, I remember that uh, very well, very very well. I tell you, and I think we were the only team that beat that. Uh, I think it was the Czechs. Uh, we we're the only team that beat them. Uh, in their round robin exhibition games leading up to the world championships. Wow. We've been getting a lot of these and I think I think this is a this should be an automatic yes, but it's uh would you consider writing a book with all the experience, hardships, good times and knowledge? Have you ever had any thoughts about it yet? Uh yeah, we we had some some initial thoughts, but uh, that's where they are. Just, uh, just yeah. But like I said, it's just one of the, if it would be a book, it would be uh, something about uh, hopefully an inspirational one to, for the next generation to, to, not, to not to give up and, and persevere. In some, and it will be an educational tool for, for non-Native people to have a little bit more understanding and, and compassion to some of our kids who are coming in from, from different places, not used to a city life. And, and uh, so... Uh, it'll be a, something based on that if I, if I do. Yeah. Here's an amazing question. Chris Scribe asks, what would you tell 25-year-old Ted Nolan about how to navigate systematic racism and succeed in those s- systems? You're amazing, Ted. You know what? I, I, I asked myself, uh, uh, there's one place I, I went and, uh, and a gentleman stood up and he said, Ted, if you uh, can go back in time and ask yourself, Ask yourself a question. What would that question be to yourself? And it'll be, everything will turn out. Everything will be okay. And be proud of who you are and stay strong in who you are and, and don't waver. And, 
and it, maybe it will it would stop a few of those uh, sleepless sleepless nights. Maybe it'll stop some of the frustration that everything will work out and everything uh, uh, and be proud of who you are. So that's what I tell my young self, and and that's what I, I try to tell as many young people right now. You know, when you go through difficult times. It doesn't mean it's going to last forever. You just got to go through that rough period of time. And I know it's unpleasant, but you fight through it. You don't give up and uh, you'll be able to come out the other end uh, uh, smelling pretty good and, and things work out, but don't give up. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We got one more here. In 1993, I went to a hockey camp in Lloyd Minister. You were the dry land trainer and during that camp yourself, Gino, Chris Simon, Sandy McCarthy is the best camp I ever went to. My question is, would you do another camp here in Saskatchewan sometime down the road? There's actually, I tell you what, if you, uh, if you contact, actually like two or three uh, questions just like that too. So there definitely, oh, is definitely. We, we, actually, we, we do uh, hockey schools and you know, things have a, things have a, weird way of, of working out and and my love for for hockey uh, although was kind of diminished a, a few times but i, I i'm re really in love again i, I love <laughs> hockey because i'm i'm doing hockey schools with my with my two boys and we call it the three in three nolan uh, hockey uh, hockey camps for first nation communities we went up to uh, uh went up in saskatchewan a few places and uh went up to enoch uh went up to alberta uh, we have them in, in Quebec. Uh, so, uh, yep, just track us down on uh, my son, Brandon. He, uh, he does all the bookings, and we'd love to come out to uh, Saskatchewan and do hockey school for sure. Hey. Awesome. Also, um, the merch. People are wondering where they could buy the Three Nolans merch. Uh, you know what? That's on 3 uh, Nolans, too. You go on there, and it has a uh, – because of COVID, uh, our – our, I don't know if anybody heard about the little NHL up your way, uh, but it's uh, the largest First Nation tournament in Ontario. We have something like 230 teams, and we usually go there every year. To, uh, but now because of COVID, uh, my son Brandon, um, uh, maybe I'll, I'll get him to uh, text you on, on your show. Um, but you can get it on, on 3 Nolan website, uh, Facebook. It's all over there, and I guess there's, there's an ordering page on there. Awesome. Um, all right. We got, we got time for probably one more question here. We'll take this one right here. Who was the hardest player to coach in the NHL? Sorry if you answered the I don't think you've answered this already. Who was the toughest player that you ever coached against? Toughest player I ever coached against? Yeah. Oh man. You could, you could pick them. I mean, uh, Crosby, it was one of the uh, Ovechkin. I mean, everybody, everybody you, you look at the game and go, how does that guy keep scoring from the same spot? And everybody, everybody notes. I mean, it's, uh, it, you should just put a man on top of him and don't let him shoot. But then it opens up and it just throws everything off. So uh, Ovechkin, uh, uh, you look at Steven Stamkos in, in, in Tampa Bay. You look at Bill Marchand in, in, in Boston. Uh, Bergeron. I mean, you, you look, there's so many. Patrick Kane in Chicago. Uh, you look at all those all those players now they got McDavid and uh, I mean he flies I mean how to how to defend against them uh, you cross your fingers and be at the right spot and hopefully hopefully the puck hits you before it goes in the net but it's tough but what you do is you just kind of um, unite as, as a as a five man unit on the ice and you and you protect that little house in front of your your net and be as patient as you can and don't uh, go fishing. 
And if you do that, you have a chance to to eliminate their their opportunity. You're never going to close them because if uh, if they if somebody figured that out, they wouldn't get as many points as they, as they do. But it's a it's a it's a tough game, and it's one on one, and and they could they could do some magic with that puck. Uh, unbelievable stuff they could do with the puck. So you got to be in a in a good position. Uh, so it's it's tough to answer the question. It's tough. <laughs> that's a great that's a great answer all right ted well we are about time to wrap it up what we like to do here at the end is we like to put our guest on the on the main page you know you can get take as long as you want you know spend a few minutes talk about whatever you'd like to talk about maybe shout out your merch shout out three nolans you know whatever you need to do talk about it and then we're going to come we'll bring you back in to thank you at the end so i'm going to put you up on the main screen here right now Whoa. Am I good to go? You're good to go. Give them your message, Ted. Well, Raymond and uh, uh, River, thank you very much for uh, for asking me to be part of your show. Uh, it was an honor, and, and it, you, you said something about uh, Adam Beach being on your show uh, last week and how comfortable he was. And and I also was very fortunate to be part of a lot of interviews. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, I felt at home also. Uh, I think maybe because we're we're interviewing each other. And we, we know each other uh, and we know where we come from and, and some of the obstacles and hurdles that we have to overcome. So there's that, that common, common bond that uh, bonds us all. So thank you very much for, for allowing me to be on your show and, and, uh, and keep up the great work, which, which you guys are doing. It's, it's incredible. And that's what we need. We need uh, our voices to be heard. Uh, I know sometimes we're, we're uh, humble people, we're relaxed. But uh, sometimes we, we have to speak out. We have to we have to tell our our stories and let our stories be heard because we got a lot of uh, a lot of great stories out. A lot a lot of great stories uh, that that should be shared. And sometimes we we look at at negative things too much. And I think we have to start start sharing some of the positive stories in, in our in our community. Some of the some of the people are graduating, becoming doctors, becoming lawyers, becoming technicians. Uh, it's not all about sports. I mean, sports is a, is a great vehicle to, to keep our kids uh, occupied. And that's one of the, the, the things about our hockey school. We, we have hockey schools, uh, uh, three Nolans. You can check it on our, on our website, the, the three Nolans.com. And we have hockey schools that we come to the First Nation communities right across Canada. And uh, we want to bring a high-end hockey camp. But it's not so much to generate the next uh, generation of, of hockey players. It's trying to to lure the kids through hockey. And we talked to them about being good people, about being uh, uh, true to yourself, being proud of who you are and, and making sure that you that you stay in school and, and get yourself a, a good education because that's that's what our, our people people need. We, we need good educated people to to continue the fight and to fight back for all the things that, uh, that were taken away and and and, uh, and make sure that history doesn't repeat itself. So so to be on a show like yours is is uh, truly an honor for myself, and uh, um, uh, and that's that's about it. I mean, I, it was it was a true uh, true blessing to, to be here, and and uh, I'm very proud of uh, the the boys uh, developed their own logo. Three uh, N uh, represents uh, actually there, there's four of us and one big boss behind us all, and that's uh, that's her mom and my wife Sandra. So, uh, but we do the hockey schools, and it's uh, it's uh, it's I tell you, it's it's a lot of fun. It, uh, we uh, want to make sure the kids uh, learn a few things, compete, 
learn how to learn how to battle, but most importantly, take away of a good sense of of self worth and and how important you are and 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 uh, keep believing and and eventually good things uh, good things will happen. So thank you again and uh, uh, look forward maybe down the road we can do this down down the road one more time. Hey. You know it. Anytime you want to come back on, Mr. Nolan, you are more than welcome. Bring your boys, bring yourself, whoever you need to, and you come hang out with us for as long as possible. Uh, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity and thank you for your time. Uh, getting to uh, call you this afternoon was very surreal. You know, um, like I said, me and River kind of ruined half the podcast because we just started firing questions at you. And thankfully, you're very gracious with your time and, and you sat there and, you know, answered our questions. And uh, it was it was a real surreal moment and, and uh, not something I take lightly. So thank you very much, like I said, again, for your time and, and for coming on today. Thank you so much, Mr. Nolan. And River's on mute again. <laughs> yeah, that happens. I, I've been eating cheesies a lot. You'll hear the crunchness, and I don't want to take away from his message. I just, I, I just want to say thank you for giving us the opportunity to um, – speak to you it's such an honor uh for you to give us the time for you to share your knowledge and your stories with us and it's you're you're, you're an inspiration to me and ray as indigenous youth and you're an inspiration to everybody watching and i i just cannot thank you enough i got chills multiple times on this podcast this evening when we're talking just from your stories and the things you had to say i i, I felt it and it's powerful and what we're doing here is something that's much bigger than all of us. This is something that I hope that will um, bring power to many, many First Nations people. And uh, that's what we do here at Boxing Around. And you're more than welcome to come back again, uh, especially when we're in Vancouver and we have our studio out. We could all sit down together and have another conversation. I just want to say thank you, Ted. It means the world to me and Raymond for you having on having us on here tonight. Well, thank you very much. And uh, uh, all the listeners out there and, and yourselves, uh, stay safe. Hey, thank you so much, Ted. Hey, bro, that was that was amazing, man. That was such a great time. Wow. Man, I got to find a medicine man like that, too, that can take care of me in that way, dude. <laughs> oh, geez. So there, there was, man... Thank you for everyone that uh, stayed on and uh, stuck with us through that, man. That's that's amazing that a lot of people, you know, are staying through for the full podcast and listening to uh, to what our guests have to say. It's it's really special, man. It always feels kind of uh, kind of surreal, you know. You get these little moments where, yeah, today me and River are on the phone with him, and I think it was supposed to be like a two minute conversation to set up the podcast. And uh, me and River were fired questions off at him for like 45 minutes, um, <laughs> just bugging him, picking his brain. And thankfully, like I said, he was so gracious with his time and it meant a lot to us to, uh, to do that with him, man. It's getting crazy, bro. It's getting crazy. Sometimes I don't, I don't realize it right away. And then I sit back and I'm like, yo, <laughs> that's facts. Hey, yeah. And once again, man, I, I can't say it enough, bro. Shout out to our big brother, man, Jay Chiquita. So much love for you, bro. Thank you. Uh, he he made this all possible. He he got uh, the connection between Ted and us, man, and it was it was dope. Yeah, what you guys do? I don't know, man. I just fuck. 
That was crazy. That was dope. It was amazing, man. Um, yeah. That, that, that was that was a cool story you told us about Mario Lemieux too earlier, remember on the phone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to get him on next time and tell the story of Mario Lemieux. Shout out Smudge the Blades, man. I don't got my I got our boxing around hoodie on, but if I'm not in this one, then I'm in a Smudge the Blades hoodie. Uh give our boy Harlan Kingfisher some love, man. We gotta get him on here soon. Pull him up, see what he's been up to. Um Yeah. Nothing but love. Thank you, guys, everybody. We're going to start taking pre-orders for some merch. We got grays. We got the blacks that River's wearing. We also got the hat that's River's wearing. And we're going to do some And we're gonna do some sweats. Oh, you I got them the on? Gitch. No, I don't have them on. Oh, shucks. Yeah. And then the, we'll do foxing around gitch. Uh, <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> bro, that's glad. Eventually. Yeah. So who's our guest on Sunday? Next Sunday. Tell him, Reef. This is this is your get. This is your grab. That you secured the bag on this one. Tell him who we um, got. Team Canada volleyball player. Uh, played professionally. Played for Team Canada. Uh, one of the the what the greatest First Nations volleyball player. Uh, Dallas Sunni. Yes. If you don't know who Dallas Sunni is, is, you live under. You about to find out. You about to find out. find out. I was foxing around Speedo. Yeah, we got you, bro. Don't worry. Uh, also, too, shout out to my mom. If you guys can go to her page, it's called Krista's Kilometers for MMIW. My mom is going to be walking across Canada, dog. Isn't that crazy? Uh, she's going to start February 18th, 2022. Um, I'm really excited for her. I'm really trying to uh, put some put some momentum behind her page, man. Give her a follow. Uh, go check us out too at Seven Stars Media if you haven't yet. Our podcast network is pretty much fully launched. There's going to be shows pretty much every day. We got Tanya Joe Hall. We got Haley Rose. We got Shaylin Fox. We got Tyler Latula. And we got Des, Des Denomi coming through. We got we got a bunch of people that are going to be popping off on our podcast network. I hope I didn't forget anyone. Mr. Mr. Oh, Short. yeah, man. How could I forget the nephew? God dang. We got Mr. Vincent Short, too, comes and does a live show every Friday with us, man. I almost forgot about him. So how could I do that? Well, I think that's pretty much it till next Sunday. Like I said, be on the lookout for the poster for Dallas. We're going to drop the merch pre-sale on Wednesday. So we'll gauge numbers. Make sure you get your order in on Wednesday or Friday when the Serb hits. And... Yeah, we'll get you some new uh, Champion X Foxing Around gear. It's really, really dope. So, Yeah, yeah, and everything's sold out in a week, too. So uh, try to get them pre-orders in. Word. Cause, and, yeah, because we sell out fast. And yeah. just so you guys know, everything that we do make goes directly back into our podcast to update our systems, to keep all the lights on around here, uh, keep us uh, – growing hey and thank you guys to all you guys out there that support uh you guys don't know how much it means when you guys start liking our videos and sharing them and all your encouraging words it makes us want to do what we do even more so i got nothing but love we should do like a fan appreciation night one of these nights just like get on on a wednesday and just start giving away some stuff and talking to everybody and letting people call in i think that would be dope huh yeah get some fans to come to just to talk to us and share their stories and yeah do that but yeah, yeah. bro i i have an assignment due at midnight so 
Hey, there we go. Time crunch, time crunch. Once again, thank you, Ted Nolan. Uh, go check him out. Three Nolans. Go order some. Go order some gear. Yeah, there's the che uh, cheesy munch. River got mad last week because homie was eating like, and I muted his mic. I was like, yo, you got some mad cheesy backdrop going on, bro. Just about killed our audio, but your cheeks. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, uh, we've been too long if the your cheeks jokes start coming out. All right, much love to everybody. Take care of yourselves. Make sure to wear a mask, wash your hands, practice safe, safe social distancing. There we go. I was trying to spit too many S's. Much love to everybody. Peace.